2: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com
1: slash style. Enjoy. Thanks.
3: The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal.
2: Hello, my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore welcome to episode 169 of the no encore music podcast and the first one ever in Dahi's makeshift podcast studio oh my
3: god here we go
2: Hello, Dahi. Hello, how are you? I'm good. This is fucking beautiful, man. It's great. I get to stay at home. It's in my dining table. It's lovely. I say makeshift, but it's actually really professional.
3: It's it's okay. I'm, I'm, we're, we're testing it out so far. It probably will be, to most people, it won't be as um, airtight acoustically as what we would usually have in the studio. Uh, but we, due just due to general booking circumstances, we're here today. Um, I have a bit of foam up around the place, so hopefully it'll be okay. And uh, we have new, no Encore-specific mics, because... The ducks are going to. Um, we need to step up, basically, on what we have and what gear we have. And stuff. Yeah, we had a
2: meeting there the other day, which Craig was absent for, which is fitting because he's absent for this podcast as well. <laughs> Craig unfortunately has an advertising world thing to attend this evening. I didn't ask for further details. It's <laughs> like off you go. I don't mate. think you need to. I mean, I think yeah, you said what it's needed. very self-explanatory. And I'm up at five in the morning tomorrow, so we figured well, let's just keep it local. Yeah, yeah, from the wilds of Castleknock. <laughs> This fucking apartment, by the way. I mean, like, it's it's a disgrace. It's good. It's it's coming along one one bit at a time. Yeah. Okay. I'm let's not let, let's not get on that too much. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we've actually just recorded an interview with our good friend Bantam. Very good interview. Which will be coming out in a couple of weeks' time on the show. Um, nice to catch up with him after quite a long time in the wilderness, I guess. Um, but as he told us, he's been working flat out, and that's evidenced by his kind of recent run of music that he's been releasing. Mm-hmm. Go check him out. And that'll be coming to your ears quite soon. On this episode, we'll be talking to frontman of Health, Jake Duzik. We talked to him for a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, rather. We did not for a couple of weeks. that will be mental. <laughs> uh, I'm just really intimidated by the surroundings. Like this is, to be fair, it, like normally in the heads of studio, like you know, all you really have to look at is each other and lots of other kind of nice wall space. I, I look over here and I can see the Phoenix Park. It's beautiful It's really nice It's a nice spot We're going to get distracted so often by just how nice this is
3: Use it as inspiration for your, your hot takes
2: Okay, I will um, The <laughs> hottest take of all happened at the weekend when
3: you decided to not go to Slain I didn't go to Slain Metallica decided, was, were playing Yeah, be, Metallica
2: Because you had a prior engagement
3: Yeah I mean, I also had a ticket to Inish Turk for Turkfest Which is like a ma- one of my favourite festivals in the country And I cancelled that as well
2: But Michael D. Higgins came first Yeah
3: So we were uh, a couple of... Uh, months ago, I guess. Months ago, uh, it was last year. I right? was, invo- I was, yeah, I was involved in a campaign video for Michael D for the campaign. Um, Brendan Canty. Uh, Friend of the show, Brendan Canty was uh <laughs> Brendan Canty, friend of the show, was uh directing a, a kind of a campaign video and a load of people kind of volunteered and stuff. Um some really good camera guys and really good uh, editors and and different producers and different stuff like that. And I was tasked with recording his um uh speech, so the voiceover for the campaign video. Um oh, was it three takes? Was it two takes? He was the most professional person of all time, and like he like looked at the speech, like fixed up the speech to be more in his style and then kind of like like while we were waiting for him, he was like, I've done this before. And it was like, it was like, yeah, yeah I am Jen. the president, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. the president. So anyway, so then uh, because of that, then we were invited to go to a, um, a summer kind of party in the Auris, uh last Saturday. So we got on our best suits and brought our significant others. Um, it was one of the most real experiences that I've ever uh, that has ever happened to me, because essentially it was about it was a family day. So there was a whole pile of families uh, who were visiting the Oris. I'd say there was about maybe 120 people, 150 people, something like that. Uh, a lot of different families. We were kind of invited into the uh, the um, the Oris. You got like a kind of a good like a tour of the Oris, and then outside there was a whole pile of different kind of things for the kids. It was like a, a jazz band playing out in the garden, and there was like lovely weather. Everybody having a good time. And then at one point, um, I was uh, away from the rest of our crowd, um, uh, and an aide came over. Um, the kind of the top aide for, for Michael D. Hello, I'm the top aide. Hello, age. I am the top aide. Well, we knew him from, the, from, the, from the, the filming or whatever. And he was like, Sorry, yeah, you're, you're Dahi, aren't you? And I was like, I am. Yeah, yeah, I am. How are you getting on? And uh, you he have that like, podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, from No Encore, right? The president's uh, a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically, he went, uh, The president has requested that yourself and Brendan Canty and your significant others would sit with him for dinner at the top table. Uh, I'm going to say it right now I don't think I'd have I don't think I could do it It was It was insane And I, I was I was just like I was like I was like Oh cool Okay Grand uh, and I after he left I asked my girlfriend I was like did that actually happen is, is, uh, did I did I hear him correctly when he said that I imagine you got it wrong uh, yeah yeah oh, Hello? This the thing. <laughs> so then I was in a bit of a panic because I had heard this thing and of course he had told me to tell Brendan and then it was weird because it was just me and Brendan and there was like a whole crew of people who obviously like we can't at the table so I, I call Brendan because I couldn't find him for a second so I call him in a panic and I'm like I'm like the president has asked us to sit up at the table with him and brendan was like oh yeah 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 I, I suppose he did did he yeah yeah and then didn't believe me for for like the next like hour where basically i had to get like i was like i, I had witnesses who saw it happen and everything and he still didn't believe me he thought it was I the so then we actually sat down on a different table and i saw the aide, and the aide spotted me and like brought us from the table down the back where we were and brought us up to sit beside the president so, and then for the entire kind of lunch, dinner kind of thing, we were sitting beside the president. What did you talk thing. about? So Brendan was right beside him, and Brendan's the perfect guy for this. Uh, I saw an Instagram story from Christian Tierney, who was also there,
2: <laughs> in which he subtitled it, Brendan County having important presidential business. And it really looked like Brendan was telling Michael D. Higgins a yarn.
3: It was amazing. Like, we, we were talking about, like, the filming and stuff. Which i like he fucking was, like,
2: probably, knowing Brendan.
3: He fucking was. He totally was. He's and like, in the room. Like, for instance, like, Michael D. went up and did, like, a speech... And then when he came back down, Brandon was like, uh, he was like, the eclairs were going around for the like the lunch or whatever. And then he was the like, he was like, you've enjoyed, you, you, you've earned that eclair now, you've earned that. And then Michael D was like, oh, it'd be a divil with your shirt because we were wearing white shirts and everything. Do they and, kiss? Uh, <laughs> it was, it was fucking mental. He was like chatting away. Uh, he like, if you had a list of all the things that you would want to happen in one of these dinners, he started talking about Trump he started going like what's his opinion on
2: Donald Trump give us the exclusive
3: Uh, basically he refused to meet him that week remember of course yeah. climate change he basically kind of went double down on that idea and kind of went like it's an attack on the scientific community I got in a lot of trouble for not meeting him but I refused to meet him and like he was literally talking about this stuff to us it was incredible Uh, absolutely amazing it was was incredible do you know what the best part of this was the best part of this was me in work (laughs) seeing all of this
2: unfold via four or five different Instagram accounts that I follow (laughs) and seeing a new Instagram story like go with that big red circle being like yeah. I know what this fucking is <laughs> I know what's going to be behind this oh there's the dog the, the dog. dogs
3: were right beside us with the whole thing God, dogs hanging God, out the
2: dogs man they are
3: incredible he breeds them himself they're, those dogs came from Galway with him I, I, I don't know what to say he, he's had those dogs for a long time they're not just like presidential dogs they've, they've come up with him Jesus yeah okay I mean amazing stuff we have to get him on the show. We should get him on the show. Yeah, he's a bit of a music man. Like he kind of knows the stuff. He like is a music so. man. I'm yeah, sure yeah. that's why you were there. I'm sure he knew he my like... granddad. He was asking about my granddad and stuff, so that was good.
2: I mean, I understand why you didn't just doorstop him like we did at Cullen's wedding,
3: <laughs> but you could have done it. I could have done show. it for the show.
2: We had a meeting the other day, a business meeting about the show, about documentaries that we're going to work on. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the pipeline. Yeah, and I can't believe I didn't chastise you for this. <laughs> I guess I was saving it for my second. Uh, what is this? Like nine percent beer that no, you have. It like, Legonita's. Like? It's a six point two. Is it six point two? Six point two percent. Pretty good. All right, let's do it. Uh it sounded like an amazing time. What it a man. Great.
3: Yeah, it was fantastic. He's great. Um also
2: the boyfriend points that you must have now. <laughs> and I know she's listening.
3: It was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, Again,
2: you know, it's grand, like single guy at work on his own. Like, exactly you know, yeah, like, yeah so i didn't go to slain basically like, like yeah, it is, but it is, slain did happen right slain happened yeah uh there's a hilarious video on the metallica youtube channel remember i went to paris yeah my foot is still sore by the way <laughs> like it's i really did
3: it did it in like every now and then i'm like oof. that's a month ago is it um, every time you hear the word metallica does it like does yeah it, it just a twinge twinges. It's, it's like, like an yeah. old war wound yeah basically <laughs>
2: so no it's a case of um they played Slane, by all accounts, by the way. Like, like by all accounts. Yeah. Huge positive. People were saying it was absolutely incredible. Didn't see any fucking criticisms. And yeah. I, as you know, I work for a website where uh, opinion is often given in yeah. the But I mean, you media. were the
3: same with the Paris gig as well. Like, yeah, I mean, it was great.
2: Crack. It's a genuinely great show. It's To be like this is the thing. I mean, like, ultimately, unless you have a serious grudge against the band, you're going to get a great show because they're going so many years. They do this all the time. Yeah, The set list is like, Taylor fucking made. They know how to work their audience. And their audience, of course, like metal fans, Metallica fans. You've made your decision if you're going to the gig. They're very loyal. And yeah. when James Heffield bangs on about the Metallica family, people buy it. Because mm-hmm. they want to buy it. That's a big day out for them. Uh, a friend of the show, Royal Yellow, was there. He great. loved it. A friend of the show, Michael Fry, went to his first ever slain. Amazing. Had a great time.
3: Jeez, he's going to all the gigs these days. He's a man in demand. Fair play. But yeah,
2: I mean, it seemed to be really, really good. They played Whiskey in the Jar. People enjoyed that, even though Lars Ulrich is playing a completely different song. (laughs) But there's a video on their thing. It's like, thank you, Slain Castle. And it's set, like all of them are like, thank you, Paris, thank you, Amsterdam. It's like a three minute highlight reel in widescreen, which is kind of obnoxious. And it's set (laughs) to the apocalyptica version of Nothing Else Matters. And it's this mournful as fuck string version of Nothing Else Matters. And you get like sweeping shots of the vistas of wherever you are. But of course, because it's Slain... You get slow-mo of cows walking through a field <laughs> and, like, you know, Just, really, like, Ireland as fuck kind yeah, of shit. Yeah, oh, like, a like shot of Navin. Like, you know, <laughs> like as it's like, you know, nothing else matters in, in symphony mode. Metallica coming in a fucking helicopter, like, the most Irish-looking security guards, like, hammering pegs into the ground. It's bizarre.
0: It's fucking bizarre.
2: <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, also, Metallica, while they're here, to their credit, they um, donated, like, 35 grand to two different charities. ISPCC in the the Capuchin Centre in Dublin for homeless people Um, so yeah they played a fucking blinder uh, by all accounts and like again you know I I talked about it when I reviewed the Paris gig there's a huge corporate element to that band there can't not be that is off-putting but at the same time People have a great fucking day out So good for them yeah. So you a great, Speaking of, you a great speaking day of good, out. good days, days yeah. out uh, yeah. Oh yeah we're
3: doing a thing are we? Yeah, I think we are doing a thing Yeah
2: we're doing the Galway Arts Festival No Encore Live uh, It won't be like a full on Let's have a bunch of bands playing type thing but No we're, we're th- going
3: to do a live recording of the podcast
2: Like this yeah It was like Skull and 6.2% yeah. beer In front of uh, a crowd in the Roisin Dove On Saturday the 27th of July Hours before Dahi supports Orbital
3: Yeah that's right yeah, the yeah, yeah. Supporting Orbital afterwards And I'll be playing the Roisin afterwards as well So it's going to be a real... Can we real. Day for the lads. Remember
2: the last time we were in the Roisin Dove and we danced together and we almost got into a fight with someone?
3: I do remember that. That could happen again. Could happen again.
2: Um, but yeah, so 2 o'clock in the and Dove on Saturday, 27th of July. And um, I guess each show until then, we're going to give away a pair of tickets. We are. So how are we doing this? We haven't decided yet. We haven't decided yet. Just
3: email No Encore. What, what, what do we do? Like, uh, how about... Um, Think of a question. I guess what we should do Is we should reward the people Who are hitting the podcast Immediately right so, Sure So let's say The first person to Is our is our DMs open on Twitter
2: Yeah It's the first person To either DM us on Twitter Or email Noencore At headstuff.org As I go and check That that's the correct email address Because
3: yeah I mean like we, we could No let's, let's do the DM DM thing is easier Than somebody putting. What, what if someone doesn't them? have A Twitter account so there you go. See? Uh, you, 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 you've shut you've you Shut me up. You've shut
2: me up. You now. didn't think of that, did you? Um yeah, I don't know. I mean like it's like this is the best thing about doing a real time podcast is that you're like, <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> so first person to email noencore at headstuff.org or slide into our DMs uh, at no show on Twitter yeah. and just say, you know, give me those tickets, please, lads. Gets a pair of tickets to the show in Galway at the Roisin Dove on Saturday, the twenty seventh of July. Uh, it's going to be as ramshackle as this whole intro was. It's so. going to be a great
3: crack. We're, it's going to be a real kind of, we're going to meet the fans kind of thing, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a hangout, basically. <laughs> the last yeah. time we went to Galway, we did that as well, so...
3: It was lovely. It's great. Galway's a great place for it, and the Arts Festival is going to be fantastic this year. Yeah, we'll try, try and get, get a guest. We'll see what
2: happens. Uh, I wanted to do a Sesame Street, Tiny Desk kind of concert, but then Tiny Desk actually beat me to that.
3: Did you <sighs> see it? I uh, is it out? Is yeah, the actual thing it's out? out. So I saw a trailer for it on on YouTube, <laughs> but I couldn't find the actual piece. It
2: blew my fucking mind. NPR, he do the Tiny Desk concert. We've seen some incredible ones over the year. We've seen like Dermot yeah. Kennedy, uh, Mac Miller, Anderson Pack, Wu Tang Clan. You name yeah. it. It's it's a hipster Bible thing to do. Saint Sister, I believe, have one in the can. That's coming. Yeah. But fucking Sesame Street. I just saw it pop up on Twitter like this incredible shot of that s- set. With Big Bird and the lads, I, I am a
3: hundred percent all for this. Twenty minutes. The there was a there's, there's a song th- fun. that I saw in the trailer that I completely forgotten until the point, which is an absolute banger. Which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That's pretty good. It's it's a, it's a banger. It's a fucking insanely good track. It's okay. amazing. Okay. So I'm very excited excited to see this. And let, let's not forget, like the 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 idea behind the tiny desk concerts. And the best thing about it is, it's basically an artist going, look how much deadly fucking musicians I know. Because that's the whole idea. It's like they bring in these incredible musicians behind them to play like acoustic slash non-acoustic versions of their shows with like just incredible musicians. It's the best music showcase kind of like version of this type of thing that I've seen.
2: You're excited for that. I'm excited to share our big interview of the week, which we're yeah. going to go straight to before we get to the news and Let's songs of the week. Uh, how would you describe this one, Dahi? It's the front man of the band Health, who I saw recently on their trip to Ireland, Jake Dusik. Uh We met up in his hotel room, hung out for a while, chatted in the moment on a kind of a rainy Monday night.
3: He is very much our kind of guy, I think is how I would describe him. He's absolutely lovely dude, very, very smart, very articulate, uh, and yeah, really interesting guy.
2: Yeah, we talked about all kinds of different things, really. I mean, it was a natural conversation, the type of stuff that we like to have on the show. Um, it started off with me kind of, uh, we were talking about, you know, videos and kind of VHS here and that kind of stuff, because obviously health of that aesthetic, which naturally led into talks about video stores, which somehow led into politics which somehow got into (laughs) video games and all that kind of jazz and Twitter and social media. Yeah, it's a bit of a free-flowing chat, and uh, here it is.
1: Do you guys remember, did you guys have... Large franchised video stores, like Blockbuster Video? I
2: worked in the Irish equivalent of Blockbuster Video. It was the dream job. I had it for three and a half years. It was the job I wanted my whole life because I wanted to work in the film industry. Oh. I somehow ended up in the music journalism industry, which is pretty good. I, I, I like it. But yeah, that was my dream job and I had it. It was amazing until it wasn't. What was
1: it called here? Extra Vision. Extra Vision. Mm. The next... That's a lot more arty than Blockbuster Video. Same company though. We, yeah, we, our uh yeah, it's so, like that's just what they called it in Ireland. They bought it basically. We had like Oh, they bought it out. Yeah. And they didn't yeah, want yeah. it
2: because I guess you know the whole UK and Ireland conflict thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which we still have. And maybe coming back more now. Oh dude, Bre- I don't know if you've been paying attention to Brexit, but like I mean, for my job cuz I work for a website, so like Brexit is like it is fucking catnip to Irish people because it's just British people making fools of themselves on an intense level all the time.
1: And then I've heard is it There's a concern that just uh, because, for example, in three days we'll be going from Galway to Belfast, and they're talking about like if it actually happens just that border is going to become trickier again? Oh yeah,
2: that's the the whole border question. So basically, like, Brexit was supposed to have happened by now, but it's been extended till Halloween, which yeah, is and, kind and of a hilarious. Yeah, May just thing. resigned,
1: finally, She's right? stepping
2: down officially, yeah, and, like, essentially, it, the whole thing's been in the same clusterfuck, and, like, one story after another that you wouldn't believe, but then again, even, like, today, when, you, when we're talking to you here in Dublin... Uh, Irish politics isn't exactly looking great either, so I think everyone kind of folks, sure. I mean, like I'm sure in your homeland you've seen all, well. I mean, all it's kinds a, it, of crazy. It's kind
1: of a worldwide populist movement, which is like usually what happens when that kind of thing, ha- you know. And we've actually paid quite a bit of attention to Brexit because um, it's so tied to the Trump movement, like that sort of. Ill considered populist, like oh, we're just going to do this thing. In fact, I actually remember. Uh, not like I'm, I'm not saying I'm a soothsayer, but when Bre- Brexit passed, I, I think I actually even did a tweet. It was like chilling to me. It was like because all of the sort of what you would consider what we call in the United States the the coast coastal people, like all the you know erudite, educated, liberal people who thought it was completely impossible for something like Brexit to happen. I was following it in the news and the same sort of sentiment was being espoused by all these people that I knew who work in the music industry, you know, over in England and they're like, oh, there's no way. And then when it got voted in, it was like, that was the first thing where I was like, Trump's going to win. Because it's like that you're in your own personal echo chamber and when you're talking to your friends, getting a beer or having a coffee or you're looking at whatever, Thing your iPhone wants to show you that the news is based on the other shit you clicked on, you're sure that like that can never happen. And then when that happened, I was like, okay, Trump's gonna win. No one's gonna see it coming. It's just the same way that like all the people like working in the music industry or working in literature or like education where in England or Ireland they're like they're not going to pass Brexit and they pass and everyone's like oh
2: shit. But what's the alternative like do you surround yourself with like people that you don't agree with you know I mean I, I, I you're completely right I saw the exact same thing I was like no, that's, that's going to be fine and then boom.
1: I mean no I don't think it's it's I guess it's just I mean I don't want to jump to like, this is a, a very hot button issue to jump <laughs> into right now but I think that like definitely one thing that I saw with that and I don't know how similar it is in Ireland or the United Kingdom um for example like what most people that i know the way that they feel about politics or the kind of things that they pay attention to like we all have our own personal echo chambers but in terms of our candidates that i mean in, in the united states you know we have like a very restrictive two party system and you could vote for a third party when it comes to like a presidential race or something along like a large magnitude but it's typically not usually going to go to a third party candidate we didn't Really, have like a legitimate reckoning of how much of an effect that social media had on people and like the politics that they were. So, you know, when you see the Democratic National Convention on television in the United States versus the Republican National Convention, which just looks like this like rodeo clown sideshow joke, and everybody, all the major news outlets, which is the liberal media that like has been. The stronghold of politics in the United States, for example, forever. When you look at all that, like CNN, MSNBC, BBC, all these things, it just makes populist politics look like a joke. But the people that are voting for that, at least in our country, and I think it's the same thing, the people that are voting for Brexit, like they're not living in the sphere of traditional political media. They're like on fucking Facebook and Reddit and, like, weird YouTube conspiratorial, like, wormholes where you watch one thing and then, like, the auto-load, like, 18 videos later, you're, like, some crazy right-wing <laughs> psycho, you know? And, like, and then, you, then next thing you know, you're, like, you weren't even political, but now you're radicalized. <laughs> and meanwhile, you have literal people that are, like, hanging out at, like, a fucking juice bar, and they're, like, no one's gonna vote for that. That's crazy. And it's, like, dude, you don't know. Like, the, the division has been so total and insidious that I think that, like, I don't mean to be, like, a doomsday, sayer. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, there's a lot we got a lot more time. There's gonna be a lot of ups and downs, but like I think that, you know, it's very conceivable for at least the United States. Like, I don't think that we're out of this dark ages by any means. But because the, I think that the gap is just exactly what you were saying. It's like, what are you supposed to do? But the gap just keeps widening. The, like the discourse among people that have divergent opinions has is basically dead. Like nobody talks to each other unless they already agree.
2: But the really weird thing is that, like you kind of mentioned, being a bit of a suits earlier on, like Death Magic, which of course you would have been working on for a certain amount of time, comes out in 2015. It precedes all of this, at least all of what you're the, the specific reference point you're making there. And that album really felt like, you know, anxiety, the record, you know, like or, or at least a, a bid to try and find catharsis while absolutely tackling that. And as someone myself who suffers from anxiety and depression, and like, that album means an awful lot to me. And, and, and that kind of music, the kind of music the Health make, like just it absolutely speaks to me. Like it, it genuinely feels like communication. And yet, it arrived before this wave, as both I think kind of a salve and almost like some kind of ominous premonition.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that we've been asked questions like that before about, um, you know, whether or not I'm trying to, or we're trying to write something that's reflective of, especially with the last record, which is like very aggressive and and probably even maybe less, uh, if it's possible, it's, it's even more pessimistic probably than the one that preceded it. Um, and I think that that's also a lot of that is a reflection of just my own personal and our, you know, our our aesthetic as a band, the kind of things we choose to do, and then the kind of things that I choose to write about lyrically. It's not like I we're not a political band, you know, we're not trying to make statements. They're usually more broad and philosophical. But it's impossible not to sort of absorb all of this from your surroundings.
2: Yeah, no, um, I wouldn't classify Health as a political band at all, and I, I myself have I, I've ran into that wall of being annoyed at the the kind of proliferation of protest songs. And then I'm kind of like, well, who the fuck am I to deny an artist to speak about their time? And unfortunately, the time right now, as you know, is quite almost doomsday scenario. Like, it is very difficult to try and find those cracks of light, to find those little kind of moments. I guess you have to be a commentator, otherwise you're not really paying attention.
1: I mean, I guess guess the thing is that it's all up to you in terms of exactly what you were saying. It's like, who am I to criticize or shackle someone if like their form of expression is going to be to politicize their art or their music um, to me it all just comes down to the same way that I've always appreciated anything is whether or not I like it or not Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm not going to make a a catch-all judgment on something because it's political or because it's non-political. It's just going to be whether or not I think it's effective and artful and tasteful and moving. Yeah, like that's that's... the only like criteria that I have to sort of evaluate something.
2: And I think it would be very reductive to try and box health into that kind of like aspect ratio or or any of them because I think you know your your stuff is clearly very juxtaposed. Like you get the serious aggression of the arrangements that you have in the songs, and the vocals have always been very kind of like. In in line with it for sure. They obviously sync up together very well, but there's clearly a duality there. There's clearly kind of like a heaven and hell thing going on. At least that's what I get from it.
1: Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. That was sort of an aesthetic decision that um, was very conscious and then also practical at the same time. You know, at the time that we were starting the band and kind of coming out of this avant-garde like noise rock scene, it was like very experimental. Like there was. A lot of bands that we were sort of inspired by um, that at that time, like in the sort of the 3-1-G records, like the Locust, stuff like that, like everybody kind of had this insane Devo, Yowl, Yelp kind of thing. And we definitely felt like that was going to be limiting in terms of what you could do musically or emotionally. And there would be maybe sort of, um, I don't want to use a word as highfalutin as profound, but there is... A contrast between the two styles that allows for a lot of dynamics, so it's like if you have sort of this uh ethereal I mean by the way, what I meant by practical is like I can't scream like that, so it's just like I'm gonna do what I can do, and I sort of my singing voice is somewhat shoegazy, effeminate, high, gentle vocals. you know, like it's not like there's not a roadmap for people doing that before, like you have like my buddy Valentine doing that exact same thing, but the music is maybe not as angular, or it's aggressive and, and thick, but it's, it's also always very beautiful, so the two couple together quite well. So I think that we were just kind of trying to take that a little bit farther with maybe having sounds that are, are more dark or more grating or more challenging, but then also combining uh, elements of it that are quite pretty. That was, that was sort of the, the genesis of the idea.
2: seen healthy festivals, I've seen you support fans like Interpol before, and I mean, I guess, you know, there's always going to be a difference when you're opening up for someone or you're at like a a big communal thing than like a a health show, of course, dedicated with the fans, because I'm sure the communication with the fans is a very specific thing. But have you found that people like are hard to win over?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we've always been pretty lucky as far as how we've been received live, because the live show is it's very physical and very sort of cathartic and aggressive so even if you thought it was kind of silly it's a spectacle i've always admired and been glad that i'm not in a band where like if you go on like an opening slot tour for a big band if your songs are more structurally structurally traditional and have quiet parts you know you're kind of vulnerable someone can yell at you, like, you suck, or, what, or you can just feel that the reaction off the crowd is dead. Um For us, if we've ever been in those kind of situations, the music is like, strange enough and loud enough that you can kind of just be like, all right, fuck, fuck it, we're just gonna go crazy and yeah. then just get it over <laughs> with. Um So in that regard, we've been lucky. Now, the lucky thing now is there's so many other ways that a band can actually reach a lot of people because of the internet, you know? Because of just... What would have been incredibly niche music, it can reach all these different corners of the world, basically because every kid is just on if they're not on Spotify, they're on YouTube and if they're not using YouTube to listen to music, they're on Soundcloud, you know so we I think I don't think we really get to do what we've been able to do as a career quote unquote without without the internet and streaming, you know Twitter. Fucking MySpace, you know, just stuff like that back in the day where that was our roadmap of how to how to turn this into uh, something that could reach more than just a couple people at a local show.
2: Twitter's a really interesting one. I was actually myself and Dahi, before we came over here, we we're kind of talking about it and how it can be a bit of a cesspit, it can be a bit of a sewer, but like in line with that kind of duality that I mentioned earlier, like the health Twitter account to me is like the one. It's like it's like the blueprint for what I want bands and brands and all that kind of bullshit on Twitter to be. I don't want when someone follows me on on Twitter, like whether it's a band of status or starting out or whatever, I don't want it to just be a list of dates. So, like, I'm playing at this gig, here's my new song. I want some personality. Uh, who primarily runs the health Twitter? Uh,
1: John and I.
2: Okay. And it, there seems to be like a tone of voice there that is, I guess, natural to you guys, but also extremely kind of playful in kind of a yeah, dark, you know, crazy way. We're a lot
1: less active on Twitter than we used to be. Um, and I think that's because there's been like a considerable change in the Twitter environment. Obviously, Facebook it started earlier, where everybody was just really mad all the time on Facebook, just like fucking yelling at each other. And we're like, oh, okay, well, so it's Twitter. There's only 140 characters. There's not going to be people just angry all the time on Twitter. <laughs> uh, and we literally just kind of started, just to like you know, that we started doing exactly what you were saying, which is just the most boring thing ever which would be to just put up tour dates or a music video and that's it. For a little while, I was actually, a lot of our comedic bent tweets, they're like a like a comedian's Twitter. Like they have, there's a persona and a, a voice and a lot of it is like irreverent and sometimes it's like offensive. And, you know, right now that's kind of a tricky place to be. Um people fucking crucify you, man. Like you say the wrong <laughs> shit. And so like, even if you're joking around. And so there was a couple of things that we were, I think we had our Twitter links to our Facebook, you know, just like, Hey, if I tweet something, it'll go up on Facebook. And I was like, Jesus, people are really mad. I tweeted something one time where I was like, it was, I was it was making fun of tweeting and driving. But the end part of the joke was it's, it's crazy that people have to die for someone to send a tweet but you know i I, but i but made it i made it seem very clear that i was sending the tweet in that moment (laughs) i think i said it's like it's it's crazy that someone might have to die for me to send this tweet while i'm driving my car but the world's a crazy place (laughs) i said something like that and then someone commented on it like my brother died in a car accident i'm like fuck you dude like i don't what i can't make a joke about like anything then ever Like, I wasn't the whole, it's a satire. I wasn't driving. That's the point. I'm making fun of people who are doing that. And then it was like the comment line came down to some, someone said something about some band who criticized like transsexuality or something. And then that became some whole thing. And I was like, oh my God, I just made a joke about fucking driving and tweeting. (laughs) So I was like, all right. Fuck Facebook. No more jokes on Facebook. (laughs) And so then it was like... Twitter's the same place. Twitter became the same shit, dude. And you're just like, oh, man, I'm going to have to like scrub my identity because someone's going to be like, he made this joke. And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. I'll just put a flyer on Instagram. Fuck off. (laughs) So, you know, it's like times are changing, you know? I'd like to think that it... And we've actually been pretty fortunate in this. Like our fans are pretty well exposed to the sort of tone that we have in a lot of the things we do. Because it runs through a lot of, like, the music, I would say the presentation of the music in terms of the albums and what the music is, is pretty deadly serious. We take that very serious, the artwork, all those things. But within that, there is this strange, playful juxtaposition, whether or not it's, like, the song titles contrasted with the music videos with other content that we've developed, things like that, and the sort of social media presence, um, and at this point, Mike, I don't really worry about it so much. But yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange time because it's absolutely true. What you're saying is like there, people should be accountable for the what they're thinking about and what they say, and how it affects other people, and how it's representative of outdated or hateful ways that people, you know, let themselves become comfortable. There's also, it's like a different, difficult territory to navigate where, you know, you get into the sort of world of trying to be expressive, whether or not it's to be funny or to be, to try to move somebody or whatever, and to have that, like, to worry about. I guess, I guess that's the part that's nebulous is what is perceived as innocuous by one person isn't by somebody else. But there does seem to be some sort of fucking critical mass where it's like, I think it was Jonathan Swift actually famous Irishman uh, did a not a modest proposal but he basically wrote this this, this always stuck with me I learned, read about it in college I think he called it a panegyric to the number seven and he's just talking about like How you can find sevens everywhere in in nature and in mathematics. And he's basically making fun of the scientific revolution (laughs) and the and he's making fun of the Enlightenment, which he's a part of as well. So like you can get up your own ass about anything, is basically what he's saying, you know? And I think that 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 concept still holds water today. Where if you're looking for something, you're gonna find it. Yeah, but if and he if,
2: was uh if he was after Jonathan Swift.
1: Yeah, yeah. They'd <laughs> fuck tear him apart though. <laughs> but I mean like the hell the cancel. Hashtag canceled Swift. <laughs>
2: Uh, so I think another kind of gateway for health fans was obviously working on the Max Payne 3 soundtrack. Definitely, yeah. Which was fucking incredible. I love it. Like Tears in particular, which I know is obviously in the live set now. It's an amazing track. And, it, and that kind of even that looping at the end, that kind of final action sequence was just unbelievable. Um, I have read, though, that it seemed like it was a fairly... I know you guys had a lot of creative freedom, but it seemed like it was a lot of work.
1: I think just there's no way to do a project on that scale and have it not be a lot of work, you know? I mean, it's like... I think we were scoring for... 13 months or so. And just the way that Rockstar Games sort of does all their games. Like, I mean, it's the most enviable thing ever where you wouldn't, all you care about is the product being good. You know, like if you're making a record, you're like, you're going to run out of money. The label's going to need to put it out at a certain point. Like, they're just like, no, fuck it. We're just keep working until it gets really good. They don't have, they're not beholden to anybody. And um, that was really inspiring to be a part of. But we were, actually crazy and we're very close with all those guys to this day and we just did more work with them recently um and now when we all hang out sometimes (laughs) it is really strange for us to realize that especially at that stage in our career as a band which is basically just like a full DIY noise band coming out of the smell scene in Los Angeles that we did the entire original soundtrack to this like $150 $150 million video game. I just don't even know how it happened. <laughs> it's very strange. That's a testament to how much trust that they have sort of imbued their music department with that they, that that could even get because you know that would just not you it's not like oh yeah, health was gonna we're gonna score the new Captain America movie. They'd be like fuck who are these guys? Fuck that. <laughs> but they so they just it was just this whole process that we kind of just went with each other on this journey and it was definitely a volume of work and responsibility that was. I, I ultimately think that it completely changed the trajectory of the band and just a lot of things that we did on the subsequent record, which was Death Magic, um, because of the sheer amount of material that had to be generated and a wide range of it. But you know, we had never I, we had never gotten notes before. We didn't even know. It's not like the notes were. Unreasonable. we just didn't even know how to, at first, how to navigate that. There's just a lot of learning curve. Mm. Um, whereas now, like when we enter a scoring project, I think that workflow and communication are fairly fluid at this juncture. And not that it wasn't then, it was just any anything that you do in a musical artistic career is a learning process. and that was just like a all of a sudden a big, Galvanizing, transformative experience to to go through.
2: Is that something that you could see yourself moving towards, like as a permanent thing, someday, just soundtrack work, or whether it's on movies or games or TV shows?
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's probably. I think that we're lucky to have the opportunity to to, to do that because, you know, it's fucking hard to make ends meet in the in the biz, um, and we happen to live in a place and have a lot of friends who work in a lot of just ancillary film TV kind of world stuff so there's a lot of creative and interesting people we know that are involved in a lot of different things that we've been lucky enough to be a part of but um, I'd love to also the the most rewarding thing is doing our own I mean the amazing thing about contributing to something like Max Payne 3 for example is you you sort of set down the rough old cross (laughs) of like the Responsibility of like really putting yourself out there with everything. Okay, we're going to release a new song and it's going to announce a new album and there's going to be a new production sound. and Hopefully, people won't hate it, but we want to challenge people. It's not about you. You know, you're what you're trying to do is facilitate the overall experience of this very large collaborative work in being more immersive and more successful. So, you know, you're kind of a, a cog in a machine and everybody's working together to try to make this piece of entertainment as effective as possible. So even though it, it, it's a lot of responsibility, that responsibility is diffused diffused among a large body of people. And so in that and then in addition to that, what I like about scoring is that we get to do stuff that we would not musically ever do. You know, you might get to a point where we're writing in a key or writing in a time signature or something based on the visual cue or what we did before that all of a sudden leads you into territory that you would just never find yourself making a health song. And for me, having done this for a long time, that's very liberating. So I would, I would love to keep doing that, but the most rewarding thing is, is still doing the band. And going back to what you were saying a while ago about the difference between playing a show to your fans and playing a show to whether or not you're opening or you're playing a festival... I, I just personally feel like the most rewarding thing is is communicating a live performance to people that have like supported us and 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 care about the the music. Yeah. Rather than, I think that's a really big thing when bands are young. You know, they if they get a bunch of buzz and they get to play a bunch of festivals and they'll immediately be like, "Oh, we're hot shit." And it's like, dude, those people don't care. <laughs> you know, like they they might care for a little while. Or they might be like, oh, I heard about these guys. I'll go check them out and I'll cheer when they're done and then I'll go get some more beers. But it's not the same thing, you know? And they're both amazing experiences. But I think that it's something that's hard fought when you actually have people that will like follow your career and care about your music.
2: I guess lastly because we talked about it on the way in uh you're currently kind of digesting that chernobyl show that everyone's raving about you said it's the best hbo show since the wire
1: i there's a little bit of hyper- hyperbole there big statement <laughs> I, i'd have to i'd have to get on the um i'm not okay this is i don't want to get controversial here but i definitely think that there has been like a diluted pool of content on the internet that has lowered everyone's iq so much that they are like a, comfortable watching 50 hours of crap to get to like, no, no, it gets good on season four. It's like, dude, I get to learn Portuguese. Fuck off. <laughs> like, I don't need to spend that much time. Like, just 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 piss my life away. And at the same time, things that are like mediocre to middling get catapulted oh, to yeah. this like, that's oh, re- it's fucking Citizen Kane. That's
2: fucking, like, that's recency bias. Like, people are just like, it's the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, no, it isn't.
1: I actually... As much as HBO has now, we'd have to like pull up my HBO Go app and look at all the different shows and everything. And I, they, I know they, but in terms of the big dog content, I've been pretty disappointed for a long time. Like even when things are good, I'm like, eh. you know, it's like, like okay, I definitely have a boner for the Deadwood movie. Oh, I, loved, man. I mean, like, I'm obsessed. Deadwood is probably my favorite HBO show. It's the best because I, the I think David Milch is one of the greatest television writers ever, and the depth of philosophical portent of that show is so like, cause what he's writing about is like, you know, he's writing about what it is to be human and try to organize a society in the face of fucking chaos. And to get to do that in a Western, I'm a huge Western fan. Mm. You know, I'm very excited about that. Chernobyl feels to me almost more out. I, I haven't, I, I, I dove pretty deep on it. It definitely has an extremely cinematic it doesn't have that. It's all directed by one guy. It's all written by one guy. You know, the through line is very much like miniseries, so it's like that sort of aesthetic unification where it's like they're not changing directors every episode and all those things. Like, I just haven't seen anything like it in a long time. Also, the, the score is really good. It's really reserved. Just there's a lot of little stuff that I'm a sucker for, like as a cinephile, like the fucking titles. <laughs> The titles are just like they—they <laughs> they look optical, like like optical in the classic way, but not in any sort of kitschy Wes Anderson block letter kind of way. I don't know. It's just like I like, guess there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on for me in that show. So you
2: mentioned maybe scoring a movie. Uh, you mentioned you're a cinephile. Would you ever make a movie?
1: I've thought about that a lot. I ended up studying literature in college, but what I what I really wanted to do was was be a filmmaker for a short window in my life, and John too, and. Uh, I think that I would be too afraid of it sucking. I just don't have the... I live in LA, I have a lot of friends who work in the film industry, whether or not they're editors or writers, and it's just a monstrous process. Not monstrous in this swimming with sharks kind of way, it is that, but also just the scale, and it's so easy for something to be bad. That's just beyond like one little fucking thing, and like, oh, yeah, the lead actor guy sucks. It's like unsalvageable. <laughs> I recently read, um, and I'd highly recommend it, Stephen King's On Writing. It's a fantastic book. It has nothing to do with horror. It's just him writing about the process of writing and giving advice on, like there's some syntax and prose stuff, but mostly it's like, here's what you would do to write per day and try to try to have like a productive workflow. And I just think that... uh I'd be like too exhausted to to write a screenplay and then realize like a year later that it sucked and have to write another one. It's like when you write, you know, you write songs. Like some people are like very few people are like David Byrne like first song he wrote was Psycho Killer. Like that's very rare. Usually you got to write a bunch of dog shit. It's kind of fun to work on music and it doesn't take very long. If you write a movie, I mean, what are the odds you're going to get it made and if the odds you get it made and it, it sucks, I don't know. I really like working on music. That's why I'm a musician. Sometimes it's a drag, like, but ultimately, like writing a song, figuring out a vocal melody, figuring out a, it's really fun to me and very rewarding. Uh, I do not like writing. I consider myself a writer in certain respects, but I and I've heard that of you know, like Hemingway said as much. It's fuck a horrible occupation, you know. <laughs> I like that. I like what I do. I would really like to write a novel and write a screenplay in my life as well, but I really don't like writing. There's this anecdote that Stephen King brings up in this book that I actually thought was really amazing where he talks about his son wanting to play saxophone and he gets his son, I mean he's fucking richer than God. And he's like, "Yeah, I get you saxophone, get you some lessons." Basically, like after 6 months or a year, his son he does his lessons and he practices before the lessons, and after 6 months he like goes to his son and says, "Hey, like I wanted to talk to you about like canceling your saxophone lessons." And he, his basic reasoning is that it's not that you're not trying, but you don't love this. You're not obsessed with doing it. If you loved it, you'd just be doing it all the time and will find you that thing. But this isn't it. And I think that maybe that's for me with writing. Just some people just have that, you know, they just like want to write. Even if they don't like it, they can get themselves to do it. Dude, I'll fucking work on music. I like it. I don't know if I can write a novel, though.
2: Thanks once again to Jake from Health for taking the time. Greatly appreciate it. Love the chat. And make sure you go and check out their current album, Volume 4, Slaves of Fear. It's out now on Spotify, all your usual kind of places. Title, if you have that, if that's what you're into. They don't stop there, Dahi, of course. Next week on the show... Next
3: week week on the show, we have Dermot Kennedy. That's right, yes. Very, very exciting. We've been angling to try and interview him for quite some time. He's a
2: very busy guy. Is Dermot. As a matter of fact, um, we'll be talking about his new track on Songs of the Week in a little bit, but he's very, very busy. He's announced his debut album. There's lots of stuff happening. And as a matter of fact, uh, as of this episode coming out, if you go to joe.ie over the weekend or my Twitter account at Henry Dave, you can read the interview. If you're someone who prefers to read things rather than (laughs) listen to them, or if you like to do both of those things, next week on the show, we'll have a full Sit down, chat with Dermot. Um, someone who we call it a very interesting time of in his life. And again, candid, nice back and forth. I'm very happy with it. I'm very looking forward to sharing it with you. So we will get to that. But first, it's the news. And a busy enough week. Um, yeah. I guess the biggest story of the week is a homegrown one. Philomena Linnet has passed away. The mother, of course, of Thin Lizzie's legend, Phil Linnett. She passed away at the age of 88. Hot Press magazine broke the news on Wednesday morning. Uh, she had been battling cancer for the past number of years and opted to not get chemotherapy, knowing it was terminal and to basically live out her days on her own terms mm. with grace, which, of course, is very reflective of her character. I mean, I've worked in Hot Press. i worked in that office, of course, as I mentioned a million times. And Philomena was a fixture. Like, you go downstairs to the reception and she'd fucking be there. Really, yeah. Because the whole thing about her as you know, there's been numerous tributes paid and some great pieces written. Um, Tony Clayton Lee and the Irish Times wrote a really nice kind of, a, like, you know, kind of on-the-spot obituary, I guess. And it's, she's a hell of a story. I mean, Phil Innes' life story was an incredible thing, as was hers, as the, the woman who brought him in, into the world. Uh, she effectively kind of gave up her life for his. And... All the stuff that came with that. I mean, she, like, there was a book co authored by Hot Press writer Jackie Hayden called My Boy, which is a bestseller. Went out under the Hot Press banner when I was working there. I remember all the hubbub around that. And I remember, I mean, like, look, listen, I slag off Hot Press all the fucking time because, you know, I've earned the right to do that. (laughs) However, I mean, I I know that the love for Thin Lizzie and Phil Linnet and Philomena it by extension is real in that building, like, for sure. And I know the Stokes family are hardcore into this and they were very much. Um, I've seen her referred to, like, as Keepers of the Flame, and I think that for Hot Press Magazine, it's a very similar thing. They are indebted to uh, rock and, Irish rock and roll icons, because um, how many do we fucking have, you of know? Course. And the big thing about this was keeping the fill-in-it name and legacy alive, which, of course, culminated in that statue that's, you know, off Grafton Street, which everyone goes to, and... People were putting flowers in, of course, after this death was announced. Um Nala Stokes described her as a formidable and brilliant woman and said that he was incredibly proud that they were able to participate in telling her a remarkable story. Um she really was a character. Like that's what I remember from Hot Press. Like I mean, honestly, you got into reception and she'd be there like signing books or just making sure that there was enough of them out on shelves and kind of like just kind of getting in people's way, but in a good way. Yeah. You know, like she was someone who didn't want to be quiet. She was someone about her son, about her life, about what she had to say. Um I remember interviewing someone before about her, and I remember like him very specifically. And this was like I've been led to believe that this guy on the phone was like this big tough dude, you know, from up the north. And I was like, oh my god, like like what is he into? I don't know. Just do the fucking interview, Dave. And I did it, and I was like, oh, I understand. Like you kind of had Philomena up there for a book signing or something, and he was like. Uh, what what was it like? And he was like, "Oh man, she was such a lady." And I remember the way the way that he said the word "lady," like there was like italics on it. Like you know, she basically like anyone who kind of spoke to her or came into her orbit w- was left with an impression because she was like just different you know she yeah. was like almost eccentric like to a degree she was like a character in a book her life is fantastical but obviously grounded with a lot of pain and a lot of trauma as well mm. which again she seemed to kind of rise above in lots of different ways like, I didn't I didn't know the woman yeah. like, I would have said hello to her every now and then but yeah I mean like just from being around me you could tell that like there was a different kind of um, I guess atmosphere and complexion in the building when she would just show up with those random those random moments it, it genuinely was like she was part of the furniture yeah
3: like see, seeing all the tributes come in and stuff I mean it's a a unique idea as well. I mean, we have these like absolute incredible, kind of rock star, famous, famous people who have obviously left us. And the idea that you can get the inside story from a family member that's so well written and so well realized is one of a kind i would say like i mean there's there's nothing like this out there so i mean that book is absolutely incredible and i would suggest that anybody who who really wants to see an inside track of of something like this is it's well worth a read it's amazing yeah hell of a life lived as
2: well i mean 88 years accomplished so much goes down in irish music lore for a variety of reasons mm-hmm. and just like was a fucking bit of a badass um also well written and well realized on a much different scope this week was a huge long read in the new york times yeah. Um, basically the day that the music burned. Uh, This investigation, which was put together over years by a writer... Um, It it refers back to in 2008, there was a blaze at University Studios Hollywood, which destroyed destroyed scores of master tapes of classic albums and singles. The names on this list of people who lost music is as long as like fucking your arm or or even longer, like Nirvana, R.E.M., John Coltrane, Johnny Mitchell, Eminem, Aretha Franklin, Nine Inch Nails, Ray Charles, Tupac, Janet Jackson, Beck, Snoop Dogg, and many, many more were lost. I mean, what happened was there was these master tapes were housed in a warehouse Uh, which was adjoined with kind of like in Universal Studios. I mean, it it was like a designated kind of site for this, which people kind of, some people weren't weren't even aware that it existed. There was guys doing maintenance work and after they finished their maintenance work, a fire broke out and just destroyed years and years of musical history and legacy in seconds and hours. And reading this article, I don't know if you've read the whole thing because this will take yeah, you. I'm,
3: a, I'm a, yeah, I'm about half. a past so halfway, long. I, would say. I It's mean, so like, long. I mean, but well worth to read. Like, I mean, it's it, a half an hour. Like, it needed like, to be this long, like, <laughs> completely. <laughs>
2: you know I mean? Yeah, which is kind of interesting because I mean, like, it could be a book, like for sure, or a show. Like, I mean, yeah. it talks about like the guy who's putting the work, is putting the work, and like, it, it raises its own questions in a way because even like you know. Um, to bring it back to the German Academy interview I mentioned, like that's coming in under, like, a little bit under 4,000 words and you have the thing of being like, is this too long? You know, like people scrolling through their phone, yada, yada, yada. And like, I myself was like, I'm going to read this thing because, you know, I'm a fucking music journalist and it's for the podcast, blah, 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 blah. But you got to take a break. Like it's it's a book, you know, it's yeah. like a mini novella. There's so, there's so much information in it. And like, I'm not going to properly kind of distill the whole thing in, into this section. But effectively, the thing about this was that like, the reporting of this was incredibly quick. Uh, yeah. People were like... Some people reckon that there may have been incredible loss uh, to the world of music, but Universal did so much damage control. If this article is to be believed, because yeah, they, they yeah. have come out and they've the, said no. Yeah,
3: The idea is that, it, like, what they're trying to, to to say is that, basically, it was a masterclass in damage control because they they kind of offset it with, like, a kind of, like, other pieces of news to kind of block out the real disaster. Yeah, a triumph of PR, basically. And a lot of it was down to they were worried that the artists that they were, that was under their their headings would revolt because of this idea.
2: Some of them never even found out until this week. Yeah. Like, Hole, for example, Uh, like, like,
3: I had no idea this happened. I mean, the idea, I mean, again, like, I mean, we've talked again and again about these, like, huge record labels and how much trust artists are putting in these people. Like, I mean, like entrusting your masters to, to to these people. I mean, it's like, it's horrific. A warehouse <laughs>
2: in University studios where there's a King Kong ride four doors away. I mean, like, 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 what the fuck? Jesus Not Christ. only that, but like, I mean, like there's so many kind of avenues to this. There's so many like little kind of tangents and side streets, which I love going down. One of which was that you find out like, well, there was Nirvana songs that no one's ever heard and obviously never will hear because mm-hmm. you come back to the idea of like Prince, for example, who had a vault of his own. Mm-hmm. And he made music videos, like apparently Kim Kardashian's in a music video that no one's ever seen for songs that no one's ever going to hear. Although now that the estate is in there, maybe you will. Yeah. But that was the point. But that was one artist having incredible control of his masters. And he actually is cited in this article as someone who had the ability and the power to negotiate his own kind of terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most musicians don't have that. And like I say, the names on this, they range from kind of people you've never heard of to household names. Yeah. And effectively, it's a cover up. I mean, again, if this is like, like this article, which is incredibly well written and I'm sure incredibly well researched and must have taken years to write, Universal have come out and basically disputed this. As mm-hmm. Of course, why wouldn't they? If the damage control was so apparent, yeah, yeah. they're going to keep it up. But it, it it raises so many questions. And one question it raised that I, that I found really interesting was as I was reading it, just I was picturing all of this and like thinking about all of this music from all of these different artists in this kind of place that's just gone. And I'm, I had this brief kind of moment of me kind of being like, is that actually an amazing act of rebellion? Is that actually a great thing? Because it's like a prison for music. Hmm. And then the next paragraph of the article actually made that argument. And I was like, oh, fuck, we're, we're tuning in here. And then the next paragraph debunked that argument because it was like, but hang on, like, this is music. This is art. This is real. This is creation. That can't be a good thing if that gets destroyed. You can't take the punk attitude with this. Yeah, yeah. This is a crime, and the emotion, there's a guy called Randy Aronson, I think is his name, who worked at that place. And he talks about how when he found himself working with the names that he was seeing on these tapes, it was just like his childhood dream come true. He got the phone call at like four or five in the morning when the thing was burning. And it took 24 hours in total for this whole thing to come down. And he's this guy has never been the same. He he worked in the music industry for years and years and years. And he talks about how he comes back to certain artists and his heart breaks he changed that day he's trying to stay in the music industry even giving testimony for this article he's worried about what will happen to him but this is someone who comes across as like someone who almost lost a fucking family member or something it's amazing what it can mean but like it's such a fascinating expose but i don't know what you can really take from it apart from that was an exceptional amount of information and it's it's kind of
3: harrowing in a way I mean, you'd like to think that like with the advent of kind of technology and where we're at at the moment that it it would be slightly different because like masters and stems and everything now are kind of, they're generally on people's computers and stuff. And obviously there's like a control thing that's there, but like, I can't help but feel that like it might not happen again because people have, it's just stuff is a bit more kind of like under control with artists and, like, in studios and stuff like that. There's backups in studios all over the place as well. There's a really interesting side thing that I heard about this where I was, like, kind of looking around the web, looking for the reactions and stuff, and it was a really interesting... Do you know Guitar Hero? Remember the video game Guitar Hero? Yeah, of course, yeah. Guitar Hero, like, one of the things that that makes Guitar Hero really interesting is that it uses the stems of original songs so that, like, if you stop playing the guitar badly or something... um, Uh, basically the guitar drops out so you need the masters and the stems to control that and there was a whole pile of rock music that people were crying out for for years and years and years uh, that they wanted in rock band but the, the labels wouldn't release them and apparently somebody guessed that the record label didn't have the masters or didn't have the sends <laughs> in like this forum and this guy like all in caps <laughs> it was like I fucking told you I fucking knew it I guess this like six or seven years ago
2: I swear as well there was a time when I remember like Metallic but a death magnetic and I remember thinking like not only is this a bad album I was like, it sounds like garbage. But people were like, no, no, it's in Anger sounded like garbage because it was too clean, that snare drum was out of control, it was trend chasing, this is the Metallica we wanted. But I was like, no, no, I understand you want, it sound like they've gone back to their roots and they're recording in a garage, but this sounds like it was recorded in a fucking garage. And I remember banging this drum, ironically not steel drum like Lars' snare, but I remember being like, you know, this sounds like shit. And everyone's like, no, it's perfect. And then I swear, I swear there was a thing where like Rock Band or whatever it was at the time, came out, because they had the same thing. And yeah. They obviously had access to the stems of the master river and they kind of went, actually, you know, we have to do a patch update now because it turns out we had the wrong files. The audio was, was, wasn't mastered correctly. And I was like, I fucking told you, <laughs> like, you know, I'm sorry, but no, we all want a bit of raw authenticity, but no way. Um, so it's strange. a fascinating story and... A lot of stuff went down. A lot yeah. of stuff was gone. It's the New York Times, right? New it's York the New York Times? Times, yeah. Yeah, definitely so, check it out. Whoever's well, see, here's reading, the thing, right? To... So you read this whole thing. It takes you like a half an hour. And also, it's like reading the fucking academic text. There's so much information in it. And you get to the ending, right? And it's that classic thing of like it ends at an abrupt moment because there's just no proper ending, which is something that you run into as a writer all the time. Sometimes you get a perfect, neat little bow end. Yeah, Other yeah. times you just got to let it's it go. It's not Hollywood, like yeah. You got to be a biggest, but it, which, which can work in some romantic way. But again, so you've read this entire half an hour article. This guy has spent years on. It's about the music industry. It's a it's an expose. It's red hot, if you'll excuse the pun. And then the final thing it says is Jody Rosen is a contributing writer for the magazine. His book about the history of the bicycle will be published in twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> my God. Yeah, no. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to read that. Incredible. Uh, I guess not quite the same vein, but someone taking the power back to a degree and also fighting against oppression of a certain kind of infiltration form is Radiohead. They have released 18 hours of OK Computer Sessions that recently leaked online because a hacker came along and threatened to uh, release them and hold them to
3: ransom. The really interesting about thing about this story uh, is basically none of it is true, and the media has taken it up completely wrong really so essentially, what happened was uh, Radiohead put out this thing, and they got it wrong as well, basically, <laughs> so th- they were informed or understood that. Their tapes, these like uh, about eighteen hours of OK Computer sessions that were kind of recorded by Tom and the band, um, were being held ransom for about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? And if they didn't release it or if they didn't pay it, that the like it would be uh, it would be released or whatever.
2: They also specify this: his mini disc archive.
3: It was yeah, so it's all like you know like mini disks How do you hack a and like record it into like a desk that wherever they were playing in the in the house, I presume. Um, so basically, first of all, the, the irony of <laughs> OK Computer being hacked is like uh, pretty obvious. It's tremendous, well. yeah, yeah. But, uh, what, so what happened was there was a on the Radiohead subreddit in, in the Discord. You went deep, subreddit. did you? I f- went fucking deep on that <laughs> shit. Uh, on the subreddit, uh, basically, there's a Discord where people kind of chat over and back there was a username um, called Zimbra who went on and was just like, hey guys, uh, I have some leaks, who, who would I go to to like uh, talk to talk to somebody about these leaks? So like he talked to um, one of the users there um, and basically he had 18 hours of music and he had planned to sell them basically um, and uh, he was trying to sell the tracks for $500 each and each of the live kind of demo recordings for $50, $50 each as well and the basically the person he talked to who had been known to buy um who had, had been known to buy kind of leaked stuff before um the the size of the actual leak was so big that he was like well i can't actually afford this and this seems absolutely mental and it's such like a very like okay computer is such a, like a, a historic time for radiohead fans so the guy he's selling to opened up a Separate Discord, like a private Discord, and got in all the major fans uh, on the Reddit, and basically sent them messages and was kind of going like, "Look, this guy has all this music. It's gonna cost about one hundred fifty thousand dollars." So essentially, they said the only the best thing to do would be to put up this um like post on the subreddit and kind of put it out to the public that this person was trying to do this and try and get the news to Radiohead as quickly as possible. um And when they looked into Zimbra a little bit more. It turns out he's like a reputable leaker. He's like, he's done this a lot in this forum, which is called uh, Leaked.is, which I think is Iceland, I think. Uh, I think I, .is You've is been to
2: Iceland. You should know. I,
3: I think it is. I think it is Iceland. Um, but basically he's sold loads of leaked tracks from loads of different artists and nobody knows who he is. So he has had a, a history of releasing stuff and nobody knows how he got these ones. But basically the forum heads just decide to kind of warn everybody through the Reddit. And then... Um, Basically, uh, Radiohead then kind of took matters into their own hands once this was coming up. So it technically wasn't being held ransom. He was just trying to sell them, if you know what I mean. Um, which is a weird one, because it's not like he didn't go to Radiohead and go like, Oh, hey, I have this stuff. And then like, if you don't pay me this amount. But that's what
2: they said he did. That's what they said. That Johnny, Johnny Greenwood's statement yeah. intimates that.
3: Yeah, which is apparently categorically untrue according to the Radiohead fans. And I wonder
2: what uh, Jay Paul thinks of all of this. This is a
3: big question, right? <laughs> and, and the really interesting thing is, is is these, like, the the top people in the Radiohead subreddit, they're obviously these, like, insane manic fans. And, like, once it came out, uh, apparently Zimber released them after Radiohead, like, like, said, it was like, oh, well, we're putting this stuff for sale. Apparently he released them so he, he people could get them for free, basically. It was a whole mess. And... The these super fans on on the subreddit uh, basically broke down every single piece of all of these. It's like eighteen hours. Like it's like these huge long. My head is fucking spinning here. And they basically like they list out. There's a file online which you can go to where they list out which each of these tracks are. And one of the big, the kind of the big white whale of this, out of all these eighteen hours, is this track "Lift," which is has been like this historic. Radiohead track that was supposed to be on OK, OK Computer but never went on it um, and they used to play it live and it was this incredible thing and they released it a couple of months ago but it was a very toned down version of the same thing but I remember you being a bit disappointed by it yeah exactly yeah so the original version is in this leak and it's like <laughs> you have to go 10 minutes into one of these hour long minidisc recordings and it's there like perfectly like <laughs> it's like the whole thing and it, the, the part that it's on is literally in one of the minidiscs has the entire album with this just slotted in so Jesus. it's like literally it was in the album At one point and they took it back out So like that's the big kind of That's the big story of this leak is that this This song Lift is like here and Released and done.
2: I tell you it's like Something in like a black mirror. is It is just Very much that Have you seen the new <laughs> season of Black Mirror?
3: I haven't watched a bit of it. I haven't Been hearing great things. Is yeah it?
2: I've seen the first Two episodes. Yeah I mean the one
3: we probably Should be talking about is the third episode With Miley Cyrus. Which published. I haven't
2: seen yet yeah. But uh, luckily she You she's wouldn't do it for no popcorn no? uh i don't think it would qualify and also i've been i, on, think it well, I guess it's, it's not, not a, a film, film i've been like, on the yeah. anti uh no popcorn come back soon by the way guys life got in the way um <laughs> uh higgs has seen rocket man i haven't uh <laughs> so, so basically what happened was um i've been on the anti-black mirror train for quite some time i think it's garbage for the most part Uh, what if technology but bad basically you know we all know that guy because it's true uh first two episodes not great andrew scott bad actor uh (laughs) but i haven't seen the third one molly cyrus is in that one she's doing nine inch nails shit which i'm not really into i'm not really into nine inch nails team up with it either not against molly cyrus i'm not against her at all she's got some great tunes uh, but she's in the news this week, Dolly. that's the thing She is in the news this week Two years ago, she had a few things to say about rap music That bloody rap music, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Remember when she was doing that phase where she was a bit of an edgelord? Yeah uh, And all bets were off But basically, she did an interview and praised Kendrick Lamar but said she wasn't into some of the hip hop stuff because it was a bit sexually aggressive for her which is fair enough except she kind of phrased it really really badly in a billboard cover story
3: She's, well this, this is it isn't it it's like basically she fucked up by like phrasing all the stuff wrong
2: yeah That's... she said and I quote these are not my words these are the words of Miley Cyrus I also love that new Kendrick Lamar song Humble uh, show me something natural like ass with some stretch marks I love that because it's not come sit on my dick suck at my cock <laughs> I can't listen to that anymore. That's what pushed me out of the hip-hop Users, scene. can you please
3: cut that piece out so that Dave, like, we can always have that piece of Dave saying that. I don't on, need on the like... drop.
2: Uh, <laughs> but she said that's what pushed me out of the hip-hop scene a little bit, because I guess she was a huge integral part of it. It was too much Lamborghini, got my Rolex, got a girl on my cock. I can't believe I said it again. <laughs> so she said, I'm so not into that. So, people were like, What the fuck are you talking about, white girl? This is ridiculous. Like, this is like such a generalization, and like, who are you to say it? You're already being wildly culturally inappropriate. This is fucking out of control. And yeah, said so they're like taken out of context, as everyone always does in their interview, yeah, even yeah, though yeah. they usually Like, I, I presume comments. what she
3: was trying to say was that, like, you know, there's there's two different types of rap music there's like a rap music that is culturally significant and then there's another one that's like, you know, that's just boasting, basically. Yeah, braggadocious. Which, exactly, but braggadocious, like, So, ben, yeah.
2: but, but she made a, po- a point to follow this up, didn't apologize, but she said, at this point in my life, I'm expanding personally and musically and gravitating more towards uplifting conscious rap. As I get older, I understand the effect that music has on the world and seeing where we are today, I feel the younger generation needs to have hear positive, powerful lyrics. That was then, and again, people were like, yeah, but you're not really addressing this properly, are you? So people weren't happy, you know? However... In the world of YouTube, someone has made a video called Molly Cyrus is my problematic fave, sorry. YouTube user named As Told by Kenya, half an hour long, by the way, and calls Cyrus out in those comments, but, you know, kind of like tries to have the discourse conversation. Molly Cyrus saw the video using her own YouTube account, agreed that she was wrong and said that she was insensitive as well. Just watched your video. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak up. Being a silent is not like me at all. I'm aware of my platform and I've always used it the best way. I know how and to shine a light on injustice. I want to start with saying I'm sorry. I own the fact that saying this pushed me out of the hip-hop scene a little bit was insensitive as it is a privilege to have the ability to dip in and out of, quote-unquote, the scene. <laughs> Which I'm like, again, I don't know if this is the right terminology. And uh, She goes, there are decades of inequality I'm aware of, but I still have a lot to learn about. Science is part of the problem and I refuse to be quiet anymore. My words become a divider in time when togetherness and unity is crucial. I cannot change what I said. I can only say I'm deeply sorry for the disconnect that my words cause. Simply said I fucked up and I sincerely apologize. I'm committed to using my voice for healing change and standing up for what's right,
3: Miley. Which is fair enough. And that's that's actually quite a well-written apology, kind of. For the But, most like, but what's interesting about that is that like it's a it's a YouTube comment. You know, like a random YouTube video So it's not like I can't imagine that that was written by You know, like a team of people You never know Like, I mean, I think it does Yeah, maybe you never know I think,
2: to be fair I mean, again, like I'm not someone to sit here and say This is this, you know Like, this is how it is But I will say that I'm all for People making mistakes and learning from them And also being allowed to do that Mm -hmm. As long as the mistake isn't intentionally And crazy fucking harmful and horrific you know, we have to have conversations. We have to have people fucking up and picking themselves up and going, you know what? I wasn't great there. I was a bit wrong.
3: Exactly. And that kind of needs to be encouraged more and more. I think. And that's fine.
2: The one thing I will say is I don't think Miley Cyrus was ever actually part of the hip hop scene. So she wasn't pushed out to begin with. You're not a hip hop artist. I'm sorry. What is hip hop? Uh, let's not do that. <laughs> again, I don't know. But it's not Miley fucking Cyrus. Like, it's not Miley fucking Cyrus. It's right. not Miley Cyrus. So you're right. And again, some great tunes though. Party in the USA, man. It's great. She's Just, great. Do you know who co wrote that song? Who? this is my bit of trivia i always bring up who co-wrote party in the usa for molly cyrus i don't know jesse J. no way swear to god man Fair play, look Jessie at her J. now dating shannon tatum it all worked out it all worked out uh the satanic panic in limerick by the way where this broke today really yeah it's back satanic panic you know the, the great the great problem with metal music that's clearly designed to take you down to the underworld a limerick counselor has spoken out against polish metal band behemoth because of their satanic behaviour No way Fianna Fáil councillor and former mayor of Limerick Kevin Sheehan Is objecting to the band Playing at King John's Castle next week And wants them banned Slipknot style How much votes does that work do you think? Um, do I think it
3: will happen? Or... No, how much votes do you think it's worth saying? Oh that sorry Five Like I don't know Five probably, yeah
2: Speaking on the last word of today FM He said Satanism is associated with evil <laughs> Thanks, thanks, man. To New, York, New York Times expose. Sound. I'm a Christian and I'm totally against anything to do with Satanism and with <laughs> evil thoughts, music, and practices. Uh, I actually tuned in, I heard this. Um, really? Yeah, and it was fascinating because at one stage Matt Cooper replied and said, I mean, what about Michael Jackson? I mean, like, lots of kind of pedophilia stuff come out about him, right? And then your man went, I don't for one second condone pedophilia. How dare you? <laughs> Matt Cooper was like, that's not what I was saying <laughs> at all. <laughs> And he's like, no, I just want to clarify the churches or like, like like local councillor position. How was
3: politician just start getting into commenting on artists? Like, oh, man. I just find that in twenty nineteen that we're still
2: doing this. We're still saying that like metal equals evil. I mean, we're not though. Nobody is. This guy is. Yeah, there you go. One one man is <sighs> one man. Uh, to round off the news section this week, MIA, subject of that great documentary last year that we all yeah. enjoyed, is now an MBE.
3: Fair play to her That's
2: right A member of the British Empire Against all the
3: odds I would say I did not see this coming Yeah it's really surprising Because she's still The establishment know? Did you see her Instagram post about it? About her
2: mother Yeah isn't yeah. that amazing? So her
3: mother had a job Stitching the medals Like for For the Queen For the Queen Yeah Which is like That's unbelievable And such an MIA thing to happen Like
2: it kind of does wrap it up kind of perfectly in a way. Uh, so she she took the honour. She took the soup. She did. She <laughs> which I didn't soup. think she would do. Elvis Costello named an officer of the Order of the British Empire. He said, it confirms my long-held suspicion that nobody really listens to the words in my songs or the outcome might have been somewhat different. I don't think he's really on the satanic panic scale of, uh, <laughs> you know, subversive lyrics or anything. Satanic panic. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know how the, like this thing really works because Fergal Sharkey, ex-Undertones, named an OBE, you know, like, what's going on?
3: It's weird. I mean, I,
2: MIA, like, yeah. MIA, MBE is good though, isn't it?
3: Rhodes. MIA, MBE is, is very, very good. I
2: remember uh, back in the uh, Sky Sports days, I mean, Sky Sports is still, of course, an organization that functions, but I remember like Stephen Jarrod got knighted, or not knighted, he got like a fucking, one of these... And we're like, he scored a goal, and the commentator was like, Steven Gerrard,
0: MBE <laughs> on New Year's Day.
2: But the best of all time, and it's also a football one, is on the Football Ramble podcast. This Newcastle fan, long-suffering Newcastle fan, called Pete Donaldson, and he referred to how a player for Newcastle, a bit of like a squad player, a journeyman guy, called Sammy Amiobi. Yeah, that's his name. His name is Sammy, Sammy Amiobi, Amiobi. and he was like, I really wish he had been like big into charity work or something, so we could have <laughs> had Sammy Amiobi OBE. <laughs>
0: It's so good. It's
2: so good. It's fucking great. All right, so listen, um, no album review this week, guys, because... Uh, we the show kind of fell apart at one stage when I was like you know what I'm a bit sick I might take the show off guys but then Craig was like I have to go and be glitzy with the advertising world
3: we also have a very long show because of this 30 minute interview and yeah so well.
2: we and also rather than half ass an album we decided to not do one but we were gonna do one
3: yeah so we were gonna do uh, the Divine Comedy album Office um, Politics have you seen the front cover I have
2: the artwork is exceptionally terrible
3: I mean the whole the whole thing is very very interesting it's 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 kind of a mix between a comedy album a sitcom theme tune thing and a musical theatre mix Um. I will say it's worth a listen, to be honest. It's got this weird thing that has the interesting thing about it is that it's got like a style of pop music that kind of isn't really here anymore which is you know it's like basically like it's called Neil Hannon I mean it's kind of like ABBA or like Cake or like Paul Simon or something like that it's kind of got like a Video Kill the star thing where like it's less about it, it, there's like very set kind of um, situations and stories and stuff built into them and they're kind of very very random built around kind of pop music Yeah, it's I think Vol- it is worth a listen it's
2: Volvillian as he tends to be I've heard it at least once and there were times when Sonic yeah, I was quite surprised and times when I was like yeah this sounds like what I would expect Neil to sound like
3: if you're gonna pick one track it's Norman and Norma it's a really
2: really good track he remains a very dexterous writer um, do you like Divine Comedy? I mean like yeah here and there I mean I, I, yeah. I'm I, not gonna sit down and really put them on but I've gone back to old stuff and like he's clearly a talent there's, clearly a, there's a song
3: called Our Mutual Friends that is one of my all-time favorite songs. all time favourite songs alright it's incredible he
2: uh I mean like the thing is like, I can't say if this is like good, bad, or indifferent and thus I can't really give you the full review But I will say that um, he was talking about the Father Ted musical, which he's working on, Mm. which is coming.
3: Which is thats a difficult one because Glynner is involved still. Yeah,
2: he's involved. And like, you know, I mean, I don't I don't like like that guy <laughs> like I don't follow that's that dude enough. I don't know I mean it's yeah that's a whole other podcast that we're not doing
3: we're not doing but yeah. uh
2: yeah we don't support his views cuz he's gross uh so yeah but what we'll do instead Dohi is Songs of the Week Songs of the Week which by the way was also a fucking like house of cards
3: Jesus Christ there was like a new one every minute but it was weird yeah because at the start of the week there was nothing and yeah. then over the course of like the last two days a huge amount of important music came out.
2: It was crazy. And we had to like cut stuff and then we we're like, is this in? Is that in? Liam yeah. Gallagher didn't. Make- I wanted Liam Gallagher to make it because it would have reflected back to your first time ever on the show.
3: I know. But the. I mean, I think all we need to say is that it's literally basically the exact same thing again. Like, <laughs> except it's not as good as Wall of Glass.
2: It's not as good as Wall of Glass. Nor is video is high concept. Yeah. Okay. Don't so bother listening to it. We have three songs. It. Give me a number between one and three. Oh God, are we back onto this. Why not? Uh, two. It's Flume. Featuring London Grammar in the least interesting song of the week. It's called Let You Know.
0: You wanna let me know Now that you've let me go Life is better still And I guess somehow You'll just keep on coming back
2: London Grammar were one of those kind of hype bands That came along a while ago Three piece Have some great
3: stuff Haven't been seen for a while 2017 was their last album I think um, this is an interesting one. I mean, so this was written, um, the two of them, they wrote it together in London, um, last summer. Oh,
2: uh, how on brand. Yeah. A very,
3: very, very on brand. Um, it's a, kind of a bit more radio friendly, I'd say, with the mixtape, uh, which came out a while ago, which is Hi, This Is Flume, um, which is very, a very, very good mixtape. Uh, I think this isn't as good because it's, it's not as, uh, out there or different, um, yeah so London Grammar are currently in the studio and they're working on something new so I think this is that kind of a primer to what they're going to release um it has a kind of a very kind of a pop laden kind of thing but it has this stuttering synth kind of underneath that kind of makes brings it up to a kind of a bit of higher kind of level than than some stuff um I don't know like there's there's obviously Flume is going through this thing where he's very very much inspired by PC music because if you listen to the bass and the bottom end and stuff on this track like you can just clearly hear the influences there so I again like I'm Flume is like killing it at the moment especially with that mixtape. Um, this isn't as interesting, I think, as the mixtape, to be honest.
2: Yeah, no, God, no. I mean, like, this didn't really work for me at all. It, it felt very just kind of of the now. It just yeah. felt like, you know, it just felt like, like, why? I mean, like, I, I, I can't find a a substantial organic reason for this to exist, apart from they're probably uh, and friends. It's, it's,
3: it's weird even saying this, because obviously, like, it's a, a, a work between a production and vocalist and stuff like that. There doesn't seem to be a chemistry between the music and the vocal, right? Like there seems to be a, a disparity between the two. I think of them, so. Even you? the way
2: it starts, it starts very much like a London Grammar song, and like the London Grammar thing is interesting because they're clearly good, but it can only go so far. Like that second album, I am—I um, forgot it existed. Yeah, because it—it didn't really do anything. Like it, and
3: I'd say it's a do or die thing for them now. The next, really? Album. Yeah, it's yeah. Awesome.
2: That vocal as well. I mean, it can only go so far, and like you know doing like covers of night call and stuff they they got some really good moments together it's just it's a really iconic an vocal act, yeah.
3: and you have to surround that with like some sort of really interesting production which on paper then this is, should be a genius thing but it just doesn't i don't know it doesn't really it didn't nail me like you know
2: it's not abstract enough yeah and it's not even like radio friendly enough to be like a big fucking summer hit that's true so uh give me another number uh 3 it's that boy, Dermot Kennedy, and he's outnumbered.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever leave that girl so cold. Never let me down. Just lead me home. Don't tell me this is all for nothing. I can only tell you one thing. On the nights you feel outnumbered, maybe I'll be out there someday.
2: That's the name of the song. So yeah, this dropped uh, hours before the show, yeah. uh, along with, like, I thought I had a fucking scoop. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, because he was, I was like, when's the album coming out? I, I interviewed him like a month ago. Yeah. And he said September. Turns yeah. out he wasn't lying. He announced his album and everything, yeah. Debut album, Without Fear, comes out the 27th of September. He also announced his biggest Irish show to date, which is a three arena headliner on the 22nd of December. Mm-hmm. And tickets will run out for that one very, very fast, you would imagine. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, not to jump ahead, but, I well, you know, you can go and read the fucking thing this weekend, but, like, from talking to him, it became very clear to me that there's a duality thing going on with this guy. Mm-hmm. We're fans. You know, like, we've seen him a bunch of times. Yeah. And even from I would God, say we're big fans. Yeah, definitely. Like, very much on the Dermot Kennedy fucking hype train. Uh, and from talking to him as well, I mean, like, great rapport, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he enjoyed it, which is always a nice fucking thing to, to feel after an interview, um, particularly when you like the guy. But... I kind of feel like there's a push-pull with this dude. I kind of feel like there's a bit of a back and forth and he's going to have to make some compromises. He's on a major label. Yeah. He's a big star. He's going to be a bigger star if that's the road that he wants to go down. Yeah. But I get the vibe that he's more in tune with making music that he wants to make, as you know everyone does. But also, I wonder how willing he is to fight. And I think the debut album is going to be the, the real acid test there because... You Look at his only like power over me, which is the biggest Irish track of the year. Like yeah. the data has come out recently to support that. It's like everyone knows it. it yeah, it's, and it's,
3: it's like it's, a proper like proper pop tune Like, yeah, it's, it's like a on, it's, pop it's, song It's anthemic it, It's A to B to C yeah. It does the job Nothing wrong with it It's and then in compar- perfectly good tune yeah. And then in comparison to that tune Was it after Just after There was Far and Fires
2: That was before So just in January before. He brought out the visual For Pharrell and Fires and Family He brought out Lost After he brought out um, Power of Me Which is much more The song that he wants You know that's, yeah. that, that's him So not that he doesn't fucking I mean like I don't think this dude's Going to put out a track Unless he wants to put out a track but I like you can kind of tell just from talking to him just from even the way the tracks go that like this one will do a job and this is the real me it's like the Hollywood fucking studio system for a director where it's like one for you one for me
3: yeah yeah so where do you think this one comes down
2: (sighs) I mean I think it's somewhere in between right I mean I didn't think it would be acoustic for a start when I heard the first chords I was like oh okay
3: it's a very I think it goes down on the pop side to be honest. Um there's yeah. a, there's two really interesting things about it like one the, the main reason I think it becomes goes down on the more pop side of Dermot Kennedy is because of the classic like four chord thing that it has which is like everybody knows this four chord thing that's like a really classic like pop music thing where you you play these perfect four chords where it goes and like you know every single track that's done this before the other really weird thing about it is that one of the main samples in it is a sample taken from moments past which is one of his older tracks which is by Dermot Kennedy like (laughs) uh, uh." (laughs) that thing is like he sampled that and like that sample already has like a really interesting story it's fucking unreal you love it yeah You're but like th- that sample itself already has a really interesting story where that was done in a session like way before the Dermot kennedy machine started moving and the producer he worked with and that song never came out the producer he worked with sent it back to him and kind of went like, here look we did this while we were thinking you should use this for something even if it's not for a track that we've done together and then moments past came out with that sample in it and now that sample is coming back again like yeah. it's a really interesting kind of recall right yeah for sure and
2: like like it's interesting because like not everyone does that I guess people do it in more subtle ways this this one is very overt
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I'm wondering what kind of statement he's trying to make with it I'm actually really fucking frustrated in the way because like the album title is out the album cover is out no, I, like maybe it's the album I've got know but like the track listing isn't out yeah and this is the one case where mm-hmm. I really want the fucking track listing yeah because I want to know. I want to know if we're getting a bunch of songs we've already heard before. I don't think we will, because he's done that thing of like, here's all of my songs today in a Spotify playlist. Yeah. Surely you wouldn't do that if you're going to reheat everything.
3: I mean, my thing about a Dermot Kennedy album is like, the the build-up of energy and release needs to be there. Because the problem is, is that you don't want to have an album full of just the thing, which is basically, this song means a massive amount to me, and it's like a slow, like emotive song. And like, I think he's on the right track to make a really fantastic album where, like... I really hope he is, The energy builds and releases and builds and releases, which is basically what you need for an album. You need need to be able to build up energy and to let it go again. And, like, that's what I'm really hoping for anyway, basically.
2: Yeah, I wonder, but, like, can that coexist? I mean, ultimately... Because the interesting thing is this. I mean, like, I guess if you don't know his stuff, you might think that we're referring to this other bank of songs that are so abstract that they're (laughs) crazy. But they're but They're 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 not not wildly different. No, they're not. But it's, it's more that they're there's more of a poignancy to it and, I and suppose. it's also
3: how they're delivered you know what i mean yeah, like there huge, seems to be yeah. like this thing where like he'll release a song and it, it definitely feels like he is releasing it as opposed to his team or his label and he'll like work on the videos himself and like so there that's kind of where the split is it's like he is releasing some stuff as a labor of love and some stuff as um because he is a massive artist basically you know and that's the split like
2: which is a fascinating place to be yeah and you're gonna hear all about that next week on the show.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And also go read my article because I spent a lot of time work writing it, you know, and, and <laughs> it, look, it looks really pretty as well. And there's great photographs in there from Lucy Foster and Christian Tierney and Brennan Canty and Docky and I would like put it together visually and you should totally go and read it, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Charlie XCX is back again on the show somehow because she's in the album as well. But before that, she's got a team up with BTS. song is called dream glow and
3: just when you think she's out of the game she pulls herself back in jesus christ there's such a gamble with charlie xx right now <laughs> it really I'm so it free- is, she's one of my it. favorite artists but it's such a juggle it's like every single time a track comes out i almost wince because i'm just like is this gonna be yeah i'm the same oh, bts uh, previously featured on the show uh like f- a fucking sensation gargantuan huge massive one of the biggest pop artists, pop bands in the world. Yeah, right?
2: they're boy bands. Speaking of boy bands, by the way, do you know what we didn't do? What? We didn't go see Backstreet Boys. We didn't. Apparently Baby it was apparently go. it was amazing. Did they do that track? I think they did. Do you know what, do you, know what you did on the show last week with that track, though? You what? credited the, that track to take that. Did I say take that? You did, yeah. Ah, oh, jeez. It happens. It's okay, man. Don't worry yeah. about it. We're all very tired.
3: That's bad. Backstreet Boys, uh, forgive me.
2: I asked Vanilla Jones, uh, who went to Backstreet Boys, friend of the show, Vanilla Jones, mm-hmm. how was it? And she said
3: i actually
0: cannot adequately put into words how much it genuinely affected me as a person it was fucking incredible
2: so there you go wow. couldn't find the words it was that <laughs> biblical <laughs> But yeah, apparently we missed a hell of a show. I should have gone. But it was your Tuesday night thing. Everyone's fucking, you know, the week's not even full. We've got a lot on. It's a busy summer. Yeah, got a lot on. Busy summer for Charlie XCX. She's back at BTS. Uh, she's also announced her long awaited third studio album. It's called Charlie. It's uh, September. Th- September is going to be so busy. September 13th, two weeks before Dermot Kennedy.
3: Yeah. Uh, 16 track album. Great. Uh, the names on this are really interesting, though. So she's a track with Heim, she's a track with Sky Fiera. She has a track with Christine and the Queens. She has a track with Yeiji, who did a remix for her recently. And Yeiji's fantastic, so I'm really looking forward to hearing Cake,
2: that. Cupcake, Claro, yeah. Big Freedia, um, Kim Petras. And
3: then, most importantly, then, it the album seems to be primarily produced by A.G. Cook, who is the secret sauce for Charlie right now. This um, track isn't on it, though, I don't think. This track is not on it. This, this is this more is like of a BTS thing. Collab. Do you like it? Uh, I do like it. Yeah. Out of all the tracks, it's the one that grew on me most this week. Okay, yeah, it works. Um, it does feel
2: homogenized, though, in a way. Yeah, I guess all these three tracks do, in a way. There's Sheen galore, on, yeah. on all three of these.
3: You know? The BTS thing, though, is so funny because, like, when you start looking into BTS and like looking at like how the fans react to stuff, there's this amazing. Like, I think the official video is like this. It's like a color coded uh color-coded lyric video right where basically whoever is singing a color will go on to whatever they're singing okay (laughs) so then basically whatever there's like there's only three out of bts who are actually singing on this this record and uh charlie so then each of the colors come in when the person is singing so that's all fine and then when you go down into the comments there is these insane paragraph long comments about like how each person's voice is and like a really in-depth critique about each of the separate voices which i've never seen on a track before and there's all this weird stuff like kind of weird weird stuff that i read which was like basically there were people commenting on how well each of the bts guys how well their english is improving and how well their pronunciation is improving and like it's just it kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it was just like it's like i don't know like why why are you why is your main comment is just like your English is doing really well your, your pronunciation is doing yeah, it's great. A different
2: like, world man we don't know it I, I know. like what it's they're weird. about though I will say that like they got some good tunes Home is one of my favourite songs of the year Yeah, I like this it's fine I mean I, I feel like you know it's it's been a weird week for music you know like I mean I guess they did the job but the stuff that grabbed me this week was actually much different and kind of unexpected and with that we'll move to other listening um, first of all uh, Orla Gartland has brought out a new EP Yeah, it's called Why Am I Like This? It's four tracks. There's a track on there called Inevitable. She put out the video for it, which is really kind of like a home movie type thing. Mm -hmm. And the song is like a breakup song, basically. Um, It's like the, the precipice of a breakup. Like this breakup is about to happen and everyone knows it. And I found it really devastating. I found myself on a bus being like, don't cry, Dave. (laughs) She's an incredible songwriter. She's fucking good, man. She's
3: really, really good. And like, she has a really interesting story as well. I mean, she's, she's an Irish artist, but she's living over in London and she's part of this like, very interesting crew of people who are all like, really heavy grafter music people who are like, writing loads of songs and stuff. And like, I mean, you talk about somebody who works hard at music, like Orla Garland is absolutely incredible. She's so good.
2: Yeah, and that track is just fucking stunning. Like, it really, really, it has that thing of like, one listen and you're right in there. Yeah. Just pure conviction and you, like a real kind of like, we've all kind of been there type thing, but in, in a real human way that like really rips into you. Um, Yeah, I was just, I was really, really taken with it. And I think the EP itself is quite smart and quite well packaged, but like that track in particular inevitable just fucking blew my mind. Um, But also this week, um, I was really taken back by, I saw a former guest of the show, Nilo, he tweeted this out and said, my friend made this. And it's a new album, which just came out of nowhere. It's called For Those I Love. And Nile 9 has written, and he wrote it like, in the space of, I guess, an hour, because uh, this album is called, like it's self-titled, Like, and I was really, really blown away by it immediately. And I put it up on Twitter like a day of recording, and I just said, like this is one of the most intelligent, inventive, uh, beautiful, and, and tragic uh, albums I've heard in some time and neither replied to me and said oh i didn't realize this was out yet and two hours later neither like puts up this article on his website about it which i thought was really really incredibly beautifully written uh he, he calls it an uncompromising dublin love letter to a best friend who passed away this is the tribute to the passing of paul curran a musician in a band called burnt out who took his own life uh in february of 2018 uh his friend his best friend david Balfi this is his one-man project there's a bit of kind of mystery around this in terms of how it's presented but the story is known yeah and i played some of it for you when i came over during the week and i don't quite know how to describe it musically apart from like burned out was a hardcore band and a, a multimedia project with a couple of exceptional videos which depicted the struggles and the real life of you know working class dublin normal dublin people who just fucking live and, and have problems but also have exceptional ability to overcome them and stand up and, and creativity and, and all this kind of stuff and just like real poetry real lyricism real experiences that like I, I, I myself haven't had and I find myself outside looking in at this kind of thing and being like what can I bring to this and the, the only thing I can bring to this is my ears and with this album uh, for those I love it just fucking blew my mind. I mean, it, it, like it's it's equal parts punk music, it's equal parts dance music, and it's 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 engulfed with also uh, interview segments and WhatsApp voice messages from from Paul Curran and, and, and the relationship that these two guys had. And it's so raw, it's so unflinching, it's different to anything I've heard all yeah. year. Not just because of the story, but in terms of what it is and how it sounds. I would defy anybody to listen to the first track on this album and not be taken by it and not stop in their tracks. And the whole album is like that. It's nine tracks long. It takes its time. It's really, really brutal. It's hard in lots of ways. It really spoke to me. And I don't quite have the words for it. Thankfully, David Balfe does. Mm. And he's created something here that is honestly, I think, exceptional really like like it's It's
3: really really special like there's something
2: else here you know
3: the the thing that really nails me as well and like you know like this is the sort of stuff that like gets me mad excited about the idea that the using of the like the whatsapp messages and these like things you can hear to hear are kind of videos or something like that like they have these like just this incredible gut punch every single time you hear it and it's i I don't know it's like completely unique and amazing so so good
2: yeah it's like it honestly it's like at a time in, in, in music where I'm always complaining about fucking too much music. I'm always like being like, ah, oh, like nothing's hit me this year. Mm-hmm. This has, and I, of course, circumstances and the the context of it have a tragedy to it that I I I'm not able to understand. And there there are certain lines in this which are throwaway in a way, but they actually tell you so much about the life that these guys had together. Yeah. And then there are ragings about how the grief that he's dealing with and, and and i guess the kind of the conversations that he has to put up with and it's just unbelievable i mean i, I it's it's catharsis as music like it like it's it's so fucking raw and there's a place for that yeah and like you know you look at like um other albums that have been written about about loss and uh, about this kind of thing and I guess you can't fake it, you know, like you cannot fake this exceptional thing that has happened to you in your life. And I think it's an amazing thing for him to do. I don't know the guy. Um, I would, I would hope that by putting it out there and making it that he's got something from it, but it's just, it's just, yeah. Like, I mean, like, like I'm, I'm running out of sentences here, but Mm. please listen to it.
3: Yeah. Go straight for it. It's amazing.
2: It's called for those I love it's self-titled. I guarantee you're not going to hear anything else like it all year. It's great. And it's, it's, it's essential. Fucking essential listening. Yeah And that's the show for Yeah the, For this week Fair play You're away for a while
3: now I'm gonna be away for two weeks I am How dare you I'm going to Greece For a week Yeah have you ever been Huh Ever been Never been Alright Never been
2: Will it be good Do you think
3: I think it'll be fucking warm That's for fucking sure It'll be like <laughs> 30 to 40 degrees I'd say for the whole thing
2: Jesus Christ Okay well I guess If you're away next week I'm gonna to have to do something So I guess watch this space
3: Also next week Don't
2: forget Dermot Kennedy interview coming And uh, Bantam Coming after that so it's a, it's a big run for the show. It is. We'll fill your gaps. we will be okay. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Bantam, though, actually, before I get to that, of course, as always, this episode was engineered lovingly by our sonic architect, Eve Murray. Thank you, Eve. But going back to Bantam for a second, uh, he mentioned in the interview that we did a recording engineer that he's worked with a man by the name of Tony Fitz. Uh, who has got in touch with us and sends us a new track that he's putting out called Empty which I was really quite taken by as well like it's been a good week for fucking homegrown stuff I think really I think it has Um, out trying the international for once Uh, for once for For once (laughs) I don't know like you're always like maybe I'm just too fucking attuned to like oh it's on Pitchfork it must be good I don't know See there you go Two, two 6.2 beers Some in Some very good sound bites here from, from Dave Henry Don't make drops guys <laughs> Don't make remixes Tony Fitz is a musician and engineer from Kildare in Ireland that's where that is uh, This is the first of a series of singles to be released throughout the year all of which explore the ups and downs of balancing creative practice with his personal life and career He describes this as atmospheric and personal examination with, oh, operating on the brink of burnout somewhere we've always been uh, I listening to it felt it was like a kind of a weird mix of like Mogwai and Sun Kill Moon and mm-hmm. also kind of thrown back to like just kind of 90s rock in a way yeah. but the good 90s rock <laughs> um, we get sent a lot of stuff on the show we don't play everything it has to be good this is good I think it's a fitting way to close the show this week Dahi we'll see you in a few weeks yeah yeah see
3: you in a few weeks don't forget the show I will never forget the show
2: alright my name is Dave Hanrati this has been No Ancore. there being No encore. this is Tony Fitz and this is Empty
3: podcast is part of the head stuff podcast network the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with mickey d's breakfast